This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. What team takes the top prize when the elite meet to treat at the American Team Championships? Meanwhile, we take it down to Texas, where even GSC and Demon Princes lay down their knives and pick up their guns. With ATC on the way, we enjoy tea time with Team England to learn what makes them tick. Falcone is away. Tony's here to play. Oh, hi, Tony. What's up, Val? You know, normally in the show notes, I spell out Falcone. Because I feel like that gives him more of a criminal element. Yeah, you know, I would too, but it just kind of rhymed with my name, so I went with it. Now, uh, Tony, I think a lot of listeners, they, they probably don't know that they know you. If anybody follows the Monday Morning Reports, I, I put out the Biff Pod. That's probably how you know me, Antonio Pierce on Facebook. And secretly, also on uh, on, on Reddit. Do we want to out your Reddit name? Oh, sure. I've, I've made no secret of who I am. Um, Sir Panda Pants on Reddit, Pandasaurus Rex elsewhere. on various panda-related handles around the internet. I didn't know that, and that makes things even better. You know, you're uh, you're an enterprising up-and-coming T.O. down in the southeast. Uh, I guess you're in uh, North Carolina? In North Car- Charlotte, North Carolina. Had a little hiccup this year with the Carolina Crusade, but we've already started working on making that better and making sure it doesn't happen again next year. Look, I wasn't trying to bait you out, but that did seem almost like a reflexive response at this point, and, uh, and it's all good in the hood, buddy. Like, uh, I, thought, uh, I thought that was all well handled at the end of the day, and we didn't take you off the roster because, quite frankly, we got no one else. <laughs> well, I'm always happy to help where I can. So thank you for being here. Uh, we have one heck of a show. This is probably going to be the longest show uh, that we've done to date. I know some people have asked for a consistent show length, but I went to the Pablo School of Podcasting, and uh, it's going to be long and strong. The only difference is I'm not going to say that this is going to be a short episode because uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. You know, you guys have been doing such a great job. It's such a great-sounding podcast. You're probably one of the best ones coming out the gate. How are you guys doing on the money side? Hold on to your butt. You just triggered a hot and heavy. Heffeltorial. I appreciate you giving me that lead in there, Tony. I've been noticing out on the internets that folks uh, seem to believe that we're, uh, we're in this for the dollars. And yes, my 40K team may or may not be cash money hammer. But that's all from outside of, of the podcast. You see, here on the show, um, we're not monetized. All right, guys, we don't uh, we don't make we don't make any dollars. There's no there's no direct Patreon. There's no uh, there's no ad funding. Uh, something you guys might not realize is all of the ads that have been produced by our man Keith, the guy who has the the the, the awesome radio jock voice. Um, these have all come out of our pocket and really what this show is about is producing good content that covers the tournament scene because both Peter and I love it. It wouldn't really be possible without some of the important you know, pillars of this community. That includes Best Coast Pairings, who have a pretty sweet produced ad plug in here, you know, the ITC itself, and we plug their Patreon. 
you wouldn't know who I am nor Peter if it wasn't for our friend Pablo on Chapter Tactics, who does have a Patreon that we plug. And then all of the other other bumpers that we have are people who produce content, who are either you know prominent characters in the community. And yes, some of them have paywalls and some of them are trying to make a buck or you know support themselves off of 40K. And you know we're all for it. We love it. So that's what the show's about. It's about highlighting... Not only, you know, the people who make this game fun and interesting and produce content for all of us to enjoy, but it's also about highlighting the players, the tournament goers, to show that they're they're regular people, they're not jerks, to try and dispel some of those myths in the community. In other shows, uh, not this one, but we do have TOs to give them a moment to talk about their event and really highlight themselves and the work that they put in. Finally, uh, the Frontline Gaming Network and Frontline Gaming itself, I don't think we would have a tournament scene like we do if it wasn't for the work of the ITC. Frontline Gaming, Reese, uh, Frankie, Pablo, Jason, everybody there, um, you know, in addition to their actual business, you know, run a pretty cool thing that we all get to participate in. And so if we can do anything to promote this, maybe pay forward a bit of the the uh, endless amount of joy, and if we can do it a little bit, if we can help out a little bit and get people's names out there, then I think we've done what we set out to do. Hopefully, people who actually do spend their lives dedicated to having an awesome competitive scene maybe do make a few bucks because of this show. So that's my spiel. Doing it for the love of the game. You know, Val, I agree with you 100%. Um, I wouldn't be in it without FLG. I would never have joined the scene without a standardization. And I would never have started doing my own Monday reports without Best Coast Parent. And hopefully you guys enjoy the content, irrespective of the agenda we push. And we're scene agnostic, too. Like, I mean, I don't think... That, um, you know, things being ITC ranked or ITC format or ETC format or standard missions out of the book. I don't think any of those things uh, make a particular tournament more or less competitive or better in some way uh, than another. I think uh, it just comes down to the players you know, who showed up that day and ultimately who has the, uh, the best day on the table. So, yeah, that's that. Wanted to also plug, speaking of plugs, I uh, wanted to mention Pablo's show this week. Chapter Tactics, check it out. We're going to do ATC coverage, obviously, but uh, they have a real stonker of a show with uh, with uh, Juice, Stephen Four. He comes on from the Wobbly Gentleman this year. Uh, Jeff in Control Robinson from Team Zero Comp at the ATC. Scary, who was playing with the Wrong Way Kids, my friend Paul Murphy's team. Um, those guys are on with Pablo Martinez guiding the discussion. It's a really, really good one. Another one uh, I want to shout out, actually, uh, as we get into some tournaments that are coming up. One, in Toronto last weekend, we had the Hogtowner, which is a, uh, a narrative-driven spiritual successor probably to the Astronomicon tournament that used to be popular in these parts. It's uh, more of a hobby-focused term- tournament um, or event. And uh, they had a really, really good showing. 40 people, just an outstanding event. Won by the Orcs. We won't cover it in detail, but just want to make sure that they got some love because they did an absolutely great job with it. Despite it being the weekend before TGX, TGX is probably a major. And so thanks to everyone. Uh, we've got some some Americans flying up. We've got guys driving from very far around uh, the neighborhood in uh, this little part of Canada. Uh, it's going to be great. We're sitting right at 67 players, and one of them is named Marjorie and uh, hasn't uploaded their list. Uh, so don't know if that's a real person or not. So hopefully 66. Everyone else, lists are in. They were uh, in a very Canadian and orderly fashion, all uploaded on time, which was fantastic. It's going to be great. That one goes down this weekend. Starts on Friday with a little Adepticon-style team tournament and then goes into the signal, uh, singles, uh, which will be streamed on Scardcast. 
or scared cast, whatever scary, scary, scary's uh, <laughs> uh, channel is on Twitch. We'll be uh, streaming the games uh, once they start. And they start pretty early on Saturday. I'm the TO. I should know this. I think 8.30, maybe 9, something like that. Eastern time uh, should be a great one. And uh, no matter what happens next week, because there's like 100 tournaments, uh, we'll be leading off with the coverage of TGX. We've got some big hitters, Stephen Pampereen, TJ Lanigan, uh, Devin Swan, some guy named Jim Vessel. That's like a lot of the top 10 right there. It's going to be pretty huge. You got anything to plug? Uh, I think Battle for Salvation is hosting an event in October, as well as Burrowhammer Guys down in Florida at Crucible 8. Um, both of those, are, I think, are majors. Um, and then also Battle for Salvation is doing a team of, an ATC-esque team event next April in New York. Um, so check it out. Yeah, you know, the Battle for Salvation uh, in the fall. I've, I've always wanted to actually run the stats on it because I feel like it's got to be one of the most evil fields in, in sort of a GT-sized tournament uh, that there could be. It always draws, obviously, a ton of Beast Coast guys. Uh, it just, it's just a murderer's row of players, just high concentration of really, really good players. So, yeah, if you want to test your mettle, check out Battle for Salvation GT, and I'm super pumped to hear that they got that team tournament thing going. All right, well... I think that's enough uh, talking up uh, tournaments and other stuff. Why don't we hit a bump? Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Our first stop brings us to East Ridge, Tennessee, a small town that has suffered ever since Chattanooga got the choo-choo station. The American Team Championships, I apologize, um, I think it's, it's probably pronounced, the American Team Championships is a club-based team tournament allowing for you and your four closest pals to sign up and lose to one of the 10 million Beast Coast teams. Each team of five intrepid souls having braved the Smoky Mountains or the barren wasteland of whatever's west of Tennessee, then sets out to do miniature combat over six hotly contested rounds. This attracted 85 teams, making it not only the largest team event in the world by a country mile, but also one of the biggest period at 425 sweaty nerds strong. Now, as with last year, the tournament used the ITC mission pack, and each codex or source could only be used once per team. The result was a meta that didn't seem to phase many of the top teams at the end of day three. You know, Val, I gotta tell you that the meta is exactly what we thought it would be. The appropriate amount of Tau, GSC sprinkled in along with some Orcs, uh, the Austin Wingfield, Triple Lord, Discord, and Morty style of list chaos armies were everywhere. The top tables were littered with Eldar Mech, just like we assumed, whether it's Wave Serpent Chassis in that style or the Eldar Flyers. Um, I, I don't think there was really any surprises uh, coming out of ATC uh, whatsoever. Of course, that was even Juice 4. And uh, now let's switch over to Sean Naden from Quality Control. The meta didn't surprise us too much. We had, you know, inside information on many of the teams that we work with and talk with on their players. So we weren't 
that surprised by the meta overall. Our knight player felt that if he had brought more of a horde list, it might have helped more in pairings, but we got up until the final round, we got a lot of work out of that knight list in many of our matchups, so it wasn't that much of a loss. And then finally, uh, let's let's hear what Ruben Fernandez had to say. Uh, I believe he's uh, playing on Brohammer? Yeah. For us, the meta, you know, ATC is always weird just because of the fact that the skews are so hard. Um, in our case, we had the three Orions. Um, Wobbly Gentleman had the three Shadow Swords, which we were honestly pretty scared of as a team. Um, and... Uh, well, Elder Flyers were in almost every team. That was kind of a given, so it's not a surprise. Um, so, yeah. Inspiring words from some uh, excellent players. Now, obviously, uh, Tony, you were in attendance there, so you got it. You got. We had boots on the ground here, an actual on-the-scene correspondent. Uh, so, why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, why don't you set the scene a little bit uh, for us? What was the venue like? So, it's held at Camp Jordan, Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's a 34,000 square foot facility with no AC, where the Southerners reveled in the heat and the Northerners suffered. Okay. All right. So, uh, I they were trying to make light of this lack of AC coming into the event, because this is what I've heard of ATC, is that it is hot. So, you're telling me that it was uh, perhaps a, uh, a dastardly uh, ploy by the Southerners to... Uh, to screw with the northern folk maybe but that's only lasted for another year or so next year they're supposedly going to be in a hotel with actual ac all right so what about the terrain scene uh terrain was mediocre to bad i think there may be four or five tables total with what would be considered heavy terrain uh most of the meat of the medium tables had one or two line of sight blockers or large walls that from the wrong angle blocked nothing at all um the barren tables were pretty barren but the mediocre tables honestly would reflect any given tournament on any given day that anyone goes to. So it's not anything anybody can be really surprised about. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to get a lot of variability in terrain, uh, obviously any place that you go. And um, as long as the tables were consistent, uh, then no one has any particular advantage. Uh, that is one of the troubles with singles events. If you have a big disparity in, in table density, then, uh, you know, you got to get luck of the draw there. Not going to happen at TGX. I'll tell you, I hope. Now, one one place that definitely had some pretty solid table setups, I think, uh, was uh, were the stream tables uh, that were highlighted on the uh, Pro Tabletop inaugural stream. What were your thoughts? Did you get to catch any of the footage uh, now that the event's over? Oh, yeah. I got to go back uh, through and watch all of the games. Um, Pro Tabletop did an outstanding job. Uh, the only real complaint is maybe jumping between the tables when action starts getting really, really good. Um, but other than that, I thought their, their graphical layout was really well. I liked the way that they did the scoring system and the way that they showed it to the viewers. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really, really good. Um, the only other thing I think they could benefit from is maybe having uh, someone in the field, kind of like Honest Wargamer, or going between tables. Kenny Boucher, Rob Bear of Spiky Bits and The Long War, they were, by the looks of it, going between tables um, and then coming back with updates. Uh, periodically. So for the most part, what you had was footage of, of basically the game being played with mic'd players sort of talking through it. So I think that works to an extent, but I think if you really want the whole package, you should have guys in the booth, you know, like you got your Jim Nance sitting there or whatever, and, uh, you know, that person with the color analyst always talking, occasionally going to the table for maybe a, a big moment if someone picks up on it. And then, yeah, and then having guys, like you said, on The Honest Wargamer, Having guys coming back with 
um, you know, a voiceover and reports talking through some of the details. But I think as a proof of concept, it was brilliant. I think it's um, uh, amazing what what can happen when you've got a you know professional caliber production team uh, running that stream. Um, and I think uh, sky's the limit for really how engaging you could make it. Um, and how interesting you can make it, especially, too, in a singles environment where it's actually every table's kind of against one another. Of course, we're lucky to have you here, Tony. So uh, you were actually uh, on Abusement Park and uh, perhaps, like Icarus, flew a little too close to that sun. Now, briefly, what types of lists did uh, Abusement Park uh, bring to the ATC? So I was playing TJ Lanigan's Chaos List with the Blightlord Terminators and the Thousand Suns Bomb. Chris brought his nine flyers. Uh, we had the King Josh Roberts playing his Death Watch, Blood Angels, and Assassins. Damian Owen out of Atlanta playing his Pure Admech with a RZA Destroyer Bomb. And two drills full of Priests with Rave Sticks. And then yes. Eddie Craft himself with Triple Caladius, Triple Tank Commanders, and a Crass Crusader. That is lovely. So, all right, you got your wrecking crew with, you kind of glossed over this, Team England captain, the Dread Pirate, Josh Roberts, no less. You've got one of the best team names in the business, Abusement Park. What happens? All right, so round one, we face off against Omega. These guys are not tournament players, but they're very, very good on the hobby side. I played against a gorgeous Eldar army, but we got a 5-0 win out of that. Um, round two, we played versus Flying Monkey. I got the pleasure to play Bam himself from the Flying Monkey podcast. Took him down, and we got four and one win out of that. Um, round three, we played Beat Slab Gaming, some friends of ours from Raleigh, a little north of Charlotte. Um, very, very fun games. Got to hang out, got to see the power of the Kevin Roach list. Um, we got another four and one win out of that. And then our round four versus the Battle for Salvation, I got to play Ed Miller's double Castellan list, which I won by killing uh, things in only one round and then sitting back and holding objectives for the rest of the game. Very nice. A um, little shout-out to the Kevin Roach list. We're going to go uh, in-depth on that. Kevin Roach winding up with the, uh, I guess, best battle point score for the tournament outside of all the team stuff. Um, now, uh, you get to round five. You've officially hit T-Whip because, uh, you know, you're 4-0. That's a patented stat around these parts. Who do you draw? So we come up next against Quality Control, Naden's team. Oh boy, QC, Quality Control. These guys have been around for quite some time. Can you provide a quick summary? What kind of stuff was Quality Control running this week? Sure. We had Dallas Rappaport was running Kraken Gene Stealers and Gene Stealer Cult. Um, Andrew Rubino was playing another Chaos List with Zangors instead of Light Lords. We had Dan Woods was playing uh, three knights, I think Tyrannus, four knights maybe? Two Gallants and a Castellan, if I'm recalling right. correctly. Um, Kurt Klaus was playing Eldar Flyers, and Sean Naden was playing a usual Sean Naden elf list that nobody has any idea what it does. I still don't think, and there are a lot of... We'll get into some of the other podcasts that are covering ATC, and uh, I don't think I've heard anyone even bother uh, highlighting the full list. And we've got way too much to talk about, so we're not going to do it either. What happens to Abusement Park? Eddie got Naden, just... Pure and simple. Uh, started off with a heavy lead, but Sean Naden was able to bring it back for a 30-17 win. Mm. Um, I got just dominated by Dallas, just at the hands of an expert Gene Steeler and Tyranid player. Um, Chris Wynn loses by a couple points to Andrew Robino. I think Josh narrowly pulls it out over Dan Woods. And Damian 
beats Kurt by, I think, one point after a lovely little bromance on stream. <laughs> but it, uh, the point differential between Naden, Eddie, and Dallas and myself got their victory. Very nice. Yeah, so it was 145 to 118. Abusement Park gets abused. So round five, uh, still, still working our way through. We've got uh, the Wobbly Gentlemen. They take on uh, the, uh, the Gentle Hogs. Wobbly Gentleman is basically Team America plus Austin Wingfield, who's also kind of on Team America. Uh, you got Kelsey Haley uh, running uh, Triple Shadow Sword. Um, you've got Juice running uh, a version, anyway, of his, uh, of his Gene Steeler cult list, I believe. Um, we've got uh, the, uh, uh, the, obviously the Wingfield Mortarian Triple Discordance list that's been, uh, been tearing up the, uh, the South and the West Coast in the, at the hands, in the hands of uh, Jeff Robinson. What else were they running? Brad Chester was running Eldar. I can't remember if he was running Flyers or not. I think he was. Um, and then we had the one surprise of the entire meta, Nick Rose and 300 Grotz. Not Grotesques, Orc Grotz. I think it was 240. I might be splitting hairs here. I also might be totally wrong. But yeah, Nick Rose's list is super fascinating. A lot of people wondering how the heck are you moving around all those Grotz. Uh, he had them on some of the coolest movement trays I've ever seen. Uh, they kind of had like, these little pegs that came out of them, so you can move them all in like a in groups of five. So he was he was moving it, um, and uh, was pretty lights out for them uh, by all accounts in the tournament, as is tradition around these parts. Let's uh, let's let's talk to a couple of the members of uh, of of the wobbly gentlemen and uh, get uh, some of their takes on on their MVP. We're gonna kick it off with Austin here. Best unit for me is Mortarion for the weekend. Uh, he just soaks up so much damage and and lets me win games. Um, and he performs so well, makes some clutch charges, tie stuff up, kill everything, blow up on everything. Um, he is a blast, and uh, can't say enough about him. Big shocker there, Mortarian. If you're a fan of the show, you've heard him talk about him before. Uh, let's uh, swing it on over to Juice. Best unit, hands down, in my opinion, is a 20-man unit of Acolytes with a banner and seven rock sauce. That unit does all the Lord's work. It it allows for any buff in my army basically to be able to put into this unit. They can hit on twos, reroll ones, uh, be strength a billion with plus one to wound. And if my uh, Primus is around, I will be getting a plus one or reroll ones to wound against a certain target that I picked. So if I truly want, this unit can get uh, hit on twos, reroll ones, wound on twos, reroll ones with uh, extra attacks. I mean, pretty damn powerful. Yeah, that uh, the praise for that unit goes all the way back to Adepticon, uh, where he was uh, playing it on the top table, obviously against Jim Vessel. It's cool how a lot of these guys have just been running the same old stuff for a long while here. And uh, let's wrap it up with with Kelsey. Uh, he's gonna have, uh, I think, a pretty surprising MVP from his list. I mean, obviously, the best unit for me was the Company Commander. That's a total lie. It's the Shadow Swords. I mean, I don't know how you could say anything else when that's about 1,700 points of your army, and it makes the opponent pick up his army. I mean, there's nothing else to say. There's nothing else to say. One little piece of tech from Kelsey's list uh, that maybe made the Shadow Swords uh, a little spicier than even usually is the uh, Trojan support vehicle, so re-rolling hits uh, for, I guess, up to two of those Shadow Swords, uh, which is a big deal, especially if you're running to minus one a hit or something. Were there? Did you see a lot of I mean, this was kind of a, a meme list for... I'd say about a year ago, about a year ago, team tournaments, you would have seen a ton of the triple shadow sword. 
This year, I'm not sure if you did. Did you see them around? There were a couple skew lists like this. It was mostly um, to put the fear of God into all the chaos players, fear of the emperor, as it were. Um, I know when I know we had plans that if we were to go up against that, I was to dodge it at all costs. Yeah, it's uh, actually listening to them uh, sort of go through in more detail. Uh, the uh, the wobbly gentlemen were pretty surprised at how often uh, like bash bros would get fed into those other sort of big big heavy hitting lists with big juicy targets for those shadow swords to feast on. Um, Kelsey also hilariously went uh, first four out of uh, sorry five out of six games. And uh, he happened to, uh, I believe, win five out of six games. So uh, Wobbly Gentlemen, uh, in the fifth round still, they take down the Gentle Hogs, uh, 154 to 130. So that's actually kind of kind of squeaking it through. Uh, do we see anything in the matchups? I'm looking at right now, Brad Chester versus Alan Baramovich. DJ Pants. Um, Kelsey, ha- Kelsey Haley versus Ryan O. Juice versus Elliot Levy, Nick Rose versus Trent Nordenton, and Austin versus Steve Pamprine. Um, I did not get to get the scores from those individual games. Yeah, I, I'm assuming this is this is a four and one win. It doesn't look like a large enough margin. Well, no, it is a large enough margin to get him to win, even on a three and two. So General Hogs go down. Uh, tip of the cap to Stephen Pamprine there. He ran Gene Steeler Cults because he gave it up to PJ Pants to uh, to run the Orcs, and uh, I think he suffered for that decision. You uh, you want to run. You want to run the one you love. Steve took it for the team. This tournament didn't go so well. That's sort of the end of their story. Um, he'll be competing at TGX, everybody, this weekend, live on stream. We'll see what happens. Finally, Brohammer, Florida men, uh, they beat Smite Club. Pretty devastating. Do we know what uh, what Brohammer was running? So we had John Lennon, who was running his GSC, I think double aberrant list. We had Richard Siegler, who was running his Tau. Richard Martin was running three Orion Assault gunships. By the way, they do not have a Titanic keyword. Uh, we had Ruben Fernandez running Eldar Flyers and Mark Perry running Chaos. Okay, so uh, let's let's just hear uh, from a couple Brohammer members about their, their MVP units for the uh, weekend. So for me, the best unit in my army, uh, it's no question, Crimson Hunter X-Rex are excellent. They're... It's consistent damage output. Um, even if I go second and they die, you know, uh, usually only one or two will die, and then they soak up an entire army's shooting phase. So um, yeah, they're excellent. Um, honorable mention to Nightwings and Night Spinners. Night Spinners are fantastic for 112 points. Um, as, as are Nightwings, really, they're always the last things to be shot at, and uh, damage output is always very consistent. Ruben Fernandez with a little uh, hot tip there for Alex Harrison. Let's kick it over to Mark Perry. He's a, he's a good old boy, and uh, here's his MVP. Best you in the game. Probably MVP. I mean, like, the Morty, the whole list synergizes really well with pressure, but a unit that did a lot of work for me was probably that one World Eater Warpsmith between denying psychic powers, taking the World Eater's Relic to deny it, get a deny, and perils. And you, as soon as you perils, I make you take 2D3 mortals instead of one. Uh, best play is coming up with the next part. Mark Burpin, what a clip. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, we're going to kick it over to the one, the only, John Lennon with his MVP. I was running a Junestiller Cult Triple Battalion list with Twisted Helix Aberrants. The Aberrants were absolutely my most valuable unit of the weekend. Um, in every game, they were able to kill, you know, Blightlord Terminators, 60 Orc Boys, Whatever was required, I sent them in, and they always took care of business. Probably my highlight moment of the weekend 
was against Aaron from Team Smite Club. Aaron was a great guy and a great opponent, but unfortunately for him, I was able to get an Aberrant squad up to Strength 9 and got them into his Knight Crusaders, and that took them out very quickly and really swung the game in my favor and let us win that round against you know an excellent quality team. All right, so uh, Brohammer, Florida men. Uh, quick summary: one forty-five to ninety, absolute curb stomping of Smite Club, who had been doing really good up until that point. Yeah, that's got to be a tough loss for Smite Club. Um, I know that they came in wanting to win, and they brought the pain with it. With Don Hoosen bringing his patented triple Disco Lord, triple Dorito Dread, triple Contemptor Dread list, Mark Wright coming out of Arizona with some Blood Angel Imperium Jank. Um, that must have been a tough loss for those guys. Yeah, and it was uh, it was pretty comprehensive. They had uh, you know on on the tables four of their players uh, went down swinging. Daniel Olives holding it up though. He got the one win for Smite Club in that round. Uh, it should also be noted that at this point uh, in the tournament, when Friends of the Show and SoCal Dream Team Team Zero Comp flamed out of the tournament by tying needlessly malicious the second best named team in the entire event, one hundred twenty nine to twenty five. So that wraps up our round five coverage. Why don't we sneak on into round six? So that sets up actually two teams. Well, sorry, four teams uh, in position to potentially uh, snag a win. Actually, I don't know. Maybe you guys are spoiler here. So I guess you guys would not have been in the running, but you could ruin the day for Florida men. And then we also had the wobbly gentleman playing quality control. Now, what goes down in the uh, Florida Ben matchup here, uh, sort of in that first half of the bracket? So we went in trying to, at this point, just trying to get the podium. So we just wanted to finish in the top three. Um, I drew Richard Martin's Triple Orion gunships. I just kind of misplayed it completely. Got thrown off a little bit by um, the secondaries and tried to be a little bit overly aggressive and ended up biting me in the butt. Um, Eddie was set up against Ruben Fernandez's flyers and we figure he gets the plus one. He's got a 60% chance to win that roll off. Uh, he should be able to go first and then he gets seized on. So that completely flips the script on that plan. Josh Robert and John Lennon tie Damien, I think loses by one to Richard Siegler and Mark Perry is able to hold Chris off. Um, only letting them win by maybe five or six points. Yowza. So it winds up a 132 to 93 um, uh, score there for the Florida men. Uh, puts them in position potentially to win the whole thing. Let's hear about a favorite moment from Mark Perry. So best favorite moment in the game probably was against Chris Blackham in the final round against uh, Abusement Park was when had an unchargeable warlock right there in the middle, surrounded by two fires where I couldn't charge him because I would end up in range of the fire, so it wasn't a valid charge target, but what I did was I took a Disco Lord, heroic in range of it, uh, and then piled into the warlock and killed the warlock that way, took off, got me a kill, and took away a hold one for Chris. That was, that was a most interesting play that I haven't actually ever done. I knew I was aware of it. I just never done it, so I was really happy to do that. Thank you, Mark Perry, and may you finish on a top table again sometime soon, because I want I want more quotes from this guy. Let me tell you what a little a little known fact about Mark Perry is he can wrestle between two and three gators a day, depending on what he has for breakfast. <laughs> That's right. Is he? He's a true Florida man. Other top table here we got wobbly gentleman oh, playing quality control. 
Um, so let's just do a, a, a quick overview here. Uh, you can watch all of the action on Pro Tabletop on Twitch. Um, also, everyone on these teams, every single one of them has a podcast, so they can talk in depth about all the things that go down. Um, but uh, I think what we can do here is uh, maybe kick it over to Sh- uh, Sean Naden. He's going to talk a little bit about maybe a little bit of a pairing snafu uh, that Quality Control got into. We fell in the end to the wobbly gentleman and my partners in crime, Austin Wingfield and Stephen Juice Four. So that was tough. We made a serious error and blunder in pairings that left us with a coin flip match that we did not win the coin flip. Kelsey versus the Knights. Uh, obviously, if our Knight player goes first, we actually win the event, which would be awesome, but we did not. So we fell into a situation that was not great for the team and it was a hole we could not come for. Overall, we feel like if we had flipped that matchup, we probably had a puncher's chance to win the event. All right, so um, really feeling like the um, the thing came down to that one um, dice roll. Although I did hear you know some other guys from uh, from the Wobbly Gentleman talking about how they they still felt okay even if if uh, the Shadow Swords go second. I don't, I don't know how true that is. Without having the Crashed Relic in there, they, they definitely still had that puncher's chance. I mean, you never, you're never going to know now at this point. But you can hear more about it on Team Battle Brothers podcast that was released earlier this week. Based on all of that, Wobbly Gentlemen catapult in front of Brohammer Florida Men. Brohammer Florida Men do wind up in second place. They have identical records, but less battle points. Um, so it was, I guess they would have been five. I always get this backwards. 5-0-1, I'm pretty sure it's 5-0-1. Oh, 5-0-1. Oh, so they both had uh they both had a draw. The the heroes of the ATC wobbly gentlemen. And uh, it made for uh, uh some some spicy keeping it icy post game interviews with the long war guys. Uh as we were saying the pro tabletop uh, is a great place to check this out if you actually want to hear what was going on. Uh, Chapter Tactics or Team Battle Brothers has Naden, Austin, and Juice again going over the whole event in depth. And finally, for more in-depth coverage of the Brohammer side of things, take a look at the Alpha Strike podcast interview with the one, the only, John Lennon. Now, is he a bit more fired up for uh, Alpha Strike than he was for us? John's always kind of an even keel guy. I don't think I've ever seen him overly happy or overly sad or overly angry. Well, maybe we can get him fired up uh, next time he's on the show. So, it's not always about the lists. Sometimes... It's about the numbers. Why don't we kick it over to a bumper and get into some more deeper cuts on the American Team Championships. Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. For attending ATC, I was curious about a stat which I started calling the conversion. It works as follows. Player A scores 30 points in the game. Player B scores 10. The difference between the scores is plus 20 for player A's team, and that number is the only one ATC scoring cares about. Conversion rates are one more metric to add to those collected from team events. To get it, I needed a man, who is also a bird. Fortunately, I know one such being. You know him as the Falcon. Uh, It's your boy Falcon, coming to you from the slick beaches of the Atlantic Ocean to dump some number knowledge in your noggins. In case you didn't already know, 40k Stats uh, correspondent and resident robot lover Michael Timp asked me to do some research for him after the ATC. 
He was particularly interested in a stat that he called conversion rates, which is the average differential in points that each player had at the ATC. This is important as, uh, by the nature of team events, the greater your points differential, the greater you helped your team in roasting your opponents. So, I went ahead and grabbed the data out of Best Coast Bearings, with a special shout-out to Garrett for fixing a bug that was preventing me from doing so, and threw together some tidbits for you. The top 25% of players, roughly 104, all had a points differential or conversion rate of 7 or greater. And of those top-represented factions, uh... Imperium sat at 21, Eldari multifaction was at 12, and uh, Chaos was at 11. Um, the Imperium lists tended towards some mixture of Imperial Knights and Guard, or Custodes Grav Tanks and Cult Mechanicus, um, plus Assassins, while Chaos was, uh, you know, your normal uh, run-of-the-mill these days, Lord Discordant, Chaos Stroganoff lists, or the, you know, Jim Vessel, TJ Lanigan style with Plague Bearers backed by um, Thousand Sun Smite Spam, maybe some Death Guard, Blade Lord Terminators in the background. Um, and Eldari, they, of course, uh, have been running that... Um, amazing flyer spam or some mix of uh, wave serpents flyers and uh, and craft world tanks namely night spinners and fire prisms um, when it comes to the mono faction performances uh, eight of the top 100 lists were tau orcs and craft world eldar had seven lists in that top 100 and chaos Space marines had six i think something of note when you look at the individual player data is just how dominant the top eight players were, averaging more than 21 more points than their opponents. Kevin Roach, in particular, was an absolute wrecking ball, not only going 6-0 at the event, but averaging 28.33 points more than his opponents. That's four more than the next closest player. I think we should take a quick moment and look through his list. So, Kevin here ran a Space Marines Battalion, Imperial Fists with the Siegebreaker Cohort, uh, he brought a captain with a power axe, storm bolter, and the eye of Hypnoth, a librarian in Phobos armor. He was the lower, the warlord. Three scout squads, a unit of centurion uh, devastators, six of those, sorry, five, and uh, they all had hurricane bolters, double heavy bolter. He had an imperial bastion fortification, and he topped it off with that custody spearhead of Trajan. A shield captain on jet bike, a Vexilla Magnifica Vexilla Sprayer, and three Caladius Grav tanks. So um, it's a pretty messy list. If you look at it, those Centurion uh, Devastators can put out a ton of damage as Imperial Fists, especially with the backup of that Librarian in Phobos Armor, because depending on which Warlord trait he chooses, whether it's target priority to give them the plus one to hit, um, or if he decides to go with the Princeps of Deceit to get the... Um, redeploy if he ends up uh, getting deployed at a disadvantage it's just an uh, a, a baller gun line backed up by that imperial bastion for defense but i'm really not the one that should be talking about this i'm hoping you guys were able to uh, get a hold of kevin after you heard this little message and uh, got him to shed some light on it because um I really am interested in seeing why it performed so well at a team event many of these units have shown some uh, some uh, you know performance uh some big performances on the big stage individually, but never together like this. Um, I imagine he's going to say something about how he was able to avoid bad matchups, blah, blah, blah. But who am I to, to, to you know, guess at greatness? So back to you, booze. We did.
as a matter of fact, uh, get a uh, a pretty detailed rundown of what Kevin Roach was running. Before we uh, bring Kevin on here uh, to sort of talk about his list, he also talks, I think, kind of expertly about the nature of SKU lists in, in a team format. It's, it's a good little segment. Um, anything else here you want to talk about? Anyone jumping off the page at you on these uh, conversion rates? In second place, like Falcon said, four points down, Charles Pugh uh, playing Chaos. We've got Donovan Salo at Tau Empire, Simon Lean playing Sisters of Battle of all things, and coming in hot in fifth is Sean Naden himself. Yep. Um, Sean Naden, uh, obviously with an, well, not obviously, but he had an average point differential of 22.5. I mean, you could score well here without actually blowing your opponents out per se, if you also play good defense. Um, so it's kind of an interesting way to actually think about the team game wherein, you know, you want to, um, obviously score as many points as you, as you can, but you also, um, don't want, um, to have the score run up on you as well. So like if you, if you get, you know, the 42 points, but your opponent somehow manages to score 35, well, you've really only scored a net seven points for your team. That's kind of the idea there. Oh, yeah. And to get a little bit of perspective here, the average on these is a minus 0.3 with yours truly coming in hot at that 1.5 mark. So I wasn't winning big, but I didn't tend to lose big either. Yeah, that's uh, that's not bad. Good way to, way to call that out. You know, just just rising above average. Luckily, old half not in these particular stats. Uh, there you have it. Um, why don't we not belabor the point and bring on Mr. Roach uh, for his analysis of his uh, list and experience. So uh, the Centurion Bomb is a unit of Centurions with Hurricane Bolters and Heavy Bolters, and it requires three things to turn into an absolutely devastating combo. The first is you run the Centurions as Imperial Fists in a Siegebreaker Cohort Detachment. The Siegebreaker Cohort Detachment uh, gives them access to a stratagem that says every six in the wound uh, does a mortal wound to a vehicle. So it allows your Bolters to absolutely destroy any vehicles they run into. You also get access to a relic that allows you reroll ones to wound in the wound uh, in the shooting phase. You combine this with a plus one to hit modifier, generally from a Phobos captain or librarian using the target priority warlord trait, and uh, the bolter drill stratagem, allowing you to generate uh, attacks on a six plus. And then you need something to hide them in. I chose to use an Imperial Bastion because at T9... All right, so stitching everything together, what you end up with is 90 shots, 30 heavy bolters, 60 hurricane bolters coming out of these Centurions. Uh, every five and six turns into a new attack, and each attack's going to hit on a two with a reroll of one from a captain that's nearby. So it's a, if you're shooting all your shots at one target, it's about 122 hits. Now you reroll ones on the wound, and then every six turns into a mortal wound against a vehicle. So the Centurions are going to delete one, about one and a half nights a turn pretty easily. Um, but the real beauty of the list is that even against massive horde armies, you're going to just destroy them. The Centurions, I played against one orc player who had 160 orcs, and they alone deleted about 45 orcs turn one. So a lot of people have asked why I was using an Imperial Bastion. So you need to keep the Centurions off the table turn one, and a lot of the lists that have been running around have been using a Land Raider Crusader. Uh, I switched to the Bastion originally because it's just cheaper. I think you save around about 70 points. Uh, but once I got on the table, I realized just how much of an improvement the Bastion is over the Land Raider Crusader. So it's got a much larger base, meaning if it gets destroyed, you have a lot more area to put the Bastions, or put the Centurions. It also means it's harder to wrap. 
So a lot of these uh, salt armies that are out there are going to look at your land raider crusader and think, oh, that's fantastic. Here's a nice, nice, tough thing that I can wrap, keep in combat, and make sure you can never shoot me. Well, the fortification rules prevent that from happening. Um, and overall, it's just a lot tougher. You know, T9 and 20 wounds is something that your opponents just aren't going to put their shooting into. So I think what other players are going to see if they start running this Centurion bomb is that against the right matchup, namely vehicles and hordes, they're going to lay out an absolutely withering amount of fire that their opponent's really going to struggle to keep up with. One of the reasons my games tended to be so lopsided, uh, where I was not giving very many points to my opponent, were by the end of turn one, I had really eliminated a lot of my opponent's ability to interact with me in the game. Um, but I will warn people that I think the Centurion Bomb has incredible weaknesses, namely any negative to hit modifiers are quickly going to bring down the effectiveness. And there are some really big meta uh, lists out there that rely on minus to hit modifiers. Eldar Flyers and Plague Bearers stick out to me. Um, so I really would not recommend this list in a singles format. So there are a few tricks I found that really help the Centurions on the field. One is uh, you can use Field Commander to get a Warlord trait that will give the Centurions cover even in the open. This is amazing into low AP weaponry because it'll help that two-up armor save stick and keep your Centurions on the uh, table. The other is to use Caladiuses. One, because they're just ridiculous, but two, because they can form a shield around your Centurions to keep them from getting charged. And the support that you're going to take, namely Trajan, has access to the Tanglefoot Grenade Stratagem to also help assault armies from getting to your Centurions. Another is to take a Phobos Librarian, one for the target priority uh, trait that they need to get the um, plus one to hit, but also for Mind Raid to help you with CP, and Tenebrous Curse to also really lay the hurt on those assault armies. All right, so there we go. Thank you very much, Kevin, for uh, for your insights on, uh, on that uh stomper of a list um sort of a don't try this at home kids message i think from kevin on that one we'll see if anybody listens i'm sure half the field was green with envy on his score <laughs> hey before we wrap up our atc coverage i'd like for us to pause and honor a completely arbitrary award that we'll start handing out called the overperforming underperformer of the week in this segment we shout out a crazy person running a monofaction list against all odds who better to be the first weekly recipient than one of 40K's finest humans, a man who was 21st in conversion percentage at the ATC, and for whom I still feel a little bit guilty for winning best sports over at Warzone Atlanta because I pressured Adam Abramowitz to give me full points in the final round. That's right. Number one in your hearts. Number eight in the warp. The one. The ho-dog. Horton Doughton. My name is Horton Doughton, and today I'm here to tell you about my corn army. The thing that makes this list special is, first of all, that it's pure corn. I've dedicated everything to have Mark of Corn and gone with a high mechanized list in order to present the maximally durable army I can to weather enemy shooting in close combat. This army is also very flexible in that it has a lot of guns I can fire at range or lots of close combat weapons I can use up close, which allows me to hurl skulls from afar or take them up close. This provides a lot of flexibility and helps me to defeat uh, hordes just as well as mechanized lists with relative ease. It certainly has its weaknesses, but it's a blast to play. The MVPs of this list have to go to the Defilers. Their flexibility in terms of being able to sit at 72 inches and fire their battle cannon when need be, or run up the field and punch out things such as enemy knights or Blightlord Terminators or even Plague Bearers, lets them 
take the field and dominate any game that they're in, unless they're hit by a volcano cannon or some such like. They're also, uh, their durability because of having 14 wounds is a huge benefit, and because they heal a single wound every turn, and the fact that their weapon skill never degrades, and the Lord Discordance able to boost them plus one weapon skill means that even when they're down to a single wound, or even two wounds in the lowest tier, they still hit extremely hard. The reason I'm so excited to be playing this army is because of the ITC Monofaction Awards. When, Torn, when Corn Demon can win away at the beginning of 8th edition, I was not a happy camper. But now that ITC has created the Monofaction Award, I feel like I can compete amongst other Corn players who are all seeking the Crimson Crown. This has me excited as I've defined my own parameters of victory, and I'm less concerned about how I do overall in a tournament, and more worried about simply doing as best as I can with the army that I want to play. And that's the wonderful thing about the Monofaction Awards for ITC, and I'm going to chase it all year long, because I've found that it's simply the most fun way to play. There you go, guys. There's someone who's definitely fired up about the changes to the uh, the, the Monofaction stuff in the ITC. Uh, there's a guy who's out there chasing it. He's going gunning for corn. I'm glad he's got a dog in the fight again. Uh, with all that said, I think that wraps our ATC coverage 2019. We'll see y'all again in 2020. Tournament news. Scary here from Scardcast, and you are listening to Stats Center. And now we move over to the Lone Star State for Warzone Houston. Or maybe that should be Loner Star State. Am I right, Tony? Oh, yes. While the rest of the Western Warhammer world went to war as a band of brothers in celebration of teamwork and camaraderie, all the players that didn't have any friends went over to Texas. The second to last event in the Texas series before Wargames Con next month, we find a familiar face and an interloper waiting for us at the top table. Firstly was familiar war boss Nick Sutherland, who brought out his hella shooty orcs, again basically unchanged to what won the Desert Rat GT a few weeks ago. His MVP was no surprise to him either. Uh, my MVP this time was uh, definitely the Relic Shock Mech again. Points for points, I think it's the best model out of any codex, um, especially whenever you're burning 4 CP on it, sometimes 5 CP a turn. It just is, it has, even if you, so, so the stats say if you roll a 7 for strength and a 7 for number of shots, you're going to pick up, and, and you have more DACA cast on it, you're picking up an Elder Flyer. And that's just average rolls. Uh, whenever you put combine it with Big Killaboss, you're wounding so much stuff on twos. It's just absolutely ridiculous the damage output that this unit has. Um, my dice were extremely hot for it the whole tournament, so it was just picking up two units a turn again. So, yeah, I think your mileage may vary with a shock attack gun. We actually got, um, uh, through the Chapter Tactics Patreon, of one of the fine people there uh, has run a lot of simulations just looking at the insane variance um, and uh, and swings that a shock attack gun actually has, especially the relic shock attack gun. So maybe one day we'll talk about that on the show. And you may recall that Nick's win came in spite of a devastating Xenos on Xenos title match that wound up in a draw. This prompted vanquished Antonio Dino Cedeno to menacingly announce to the 40K world that he was, quote, coming for Nick Sutherland at Warzone Houston. Well, Dino found Nick in the fourth round all right, and our very own Peter the Falcon thought it was Dino's game to win. So we reached out to him to find out how that went. So I know Pete says that, that on paper the Necrons should be able to take this match, but with it being a dice game, you never know what's going to happen. 
Nick and I have talked several times since the Desert Rat GT and at this last event, discussing what mission benefits who more and what maps we need for those missions. But it always comes down to the Necrons needing first turn in order to survive the firepower of 15 Lutas, 12 Smasher Guns, 2 Shock Guns, and 1 Relic Shock Attack Gun. So I played uh, Dino again in the fourth round. Um, it, it, I mean, it's not personal. I mean, anytime that, uh, that, we're, that uh, Texas is going to travel to out-of-state tournaments, uh, we're all going to rep the same team. So uh, we're extremely cool. Um, the reason why the game was so lopsided was uh, we were playing a deploy first, go first uh, mission, and uh, I was able to seize on him. Uh, I had my Lutas in uh, Teleporter, so I wasn't even able to unleash my full fury of offensive firepower. But T1, I was able to pick up all three Doom Size. T2, I was able to pick up 30 Immortals and nine Tesla Blades. Oh my. So Dino goes down swinging. Um, and uh, as for Nick's opponent on the top table, round five, William Ivy was running a mighty shooty guard with Blood Angels characters list. Uh, let's hear him uh, talk about it a little bit. I run a brigade in Battalion of Cadians with a Supreme Detachment of Blood Angels with a Librarian Dread and two Death Company Captains. I ran Cadians over my usual Catachan due to the popularity of Chaos. My list doesn't have Assassins in, in it, which I was debating on this for a while and opted not to run them, and ran my Librarian Dreadnought instead of three captains for the minus four attacks against the knights and flyers when I fought them, and the extra astropath for nice shroud and nine bulgren instead of eight. I enjoyed playing my dreadnought once again, but at the end of this event it showed I needed to have that assassin. I think out of my list my bulgren were the MVP, mainly for the amount of times they survived throughout the games I played only to end up losing the whole squad on two games. When I did lose them, they ended up staying alive until the very end of the rounds. They were able to bully their way through the units they ran into, and either holding the center or pushing into my opponent's deployment zone, causing issues for them. I would like to honorably mention one of my smash captains were able to triple swing into my teammate Sean Prosser's hive guard in game three by making his hive tyrant kill the captain to swing for the third time, killing all of his hive guard turn one it was too much fun to pass up doing that i'm like a little suicide mission for a smash captain well you always know that the blood angels graduate directly from scout to smash captain <laughs> that's right it didn't come as much of a surprise to either player with what unfolded next going into game five against nick i knew i was going to have an issue with his list since i didn't have an assassin rolling for who went first he was able to go first and i failed to seize it was an uphill battle for me, but I did all that, that I could to keep up with him. My Bulgren had a lot of work clearing up all the boys that were coming at me from all sides while shaking off quite a bit of shots from the mech guns and the Lutas throughout the game, which showed him the resilience of the Bulgren as I finally lost them by the end of five. The event itself was awesome. I got to play against some great players. John and his group, crew were great, and I'm definitely going back to Warzone Houston next year. Well, all right, William does wind up going down swinging on the top table of uh, of Warzone Houston. Um, but uh, let's 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 hear a little bit more from Nick. Uh, he's just going to talk about uh, his experience and uh, what he thought gave him the edge this weekend. Uh, at the Warzone Houston GT, I had pretty favorable matchups. Um, I got a 
pretty standard Dark Elder list with a grotesque bomb. And then I had uh, the Necron Metalist, and then I had uh, three uh, variations of Guard Parking Lot. Uh, if you're taking Guard Parking Lot to even come close to beating my list, uh, you have to have an Assassin in it. And uh, in round five, I didn't have an Assassin going against me, so I was just able to pick up all the vehicles by turn two and then just um, outrange him. There it is. Uh, pretty smooth sailing. Now, I'm, I'm noticing a very shooty quality to the top table here, uh, uh, and even the fourth round. Uh, are you noticing that as well, Tony? It does seem that everyone brought out the guns here in Texas, but I just figured that was a Texas thing. Could be the Texas thing. Could also be part of the Texas thing that the, the terrain on the tables maybe reflected uh, maybe some stereotypical images that we have of Texas in our mind. Uh, why don't we uh, talk to Nick about the terrain? At, um, at Warzone Houston, uh, the terrain was uh, very, very light. Um, so I was just, I had a shooting gallery. Um, it was, um, I played on the top table for the final three rounds. So I had the same train for all three rounds. And there, there was no way to hide a knight. There was no way to hide I mean, it, it was it was very favorable train for me. Uh, there was four ruins on it and uh, about four or five hills, but that was it. So there you go. The uh, the second MVP of uh, of of Nick's list this week uh, goes to the terrain. Uh, but congrats uh, on going back to back, and uh, we'll leave him leave off with him setting up what's coming up next in Texas. Because as you all probably know, if you listen to the show, there's a bit of a circuit going on. So the Texas circuit is uh, five tournaments. Uh, to score best in Texas, you have to uh, uh, the only three tournaments count towards your score. So currently, uh, me and Matt Ali each have two first out of the four tournaments that have been played so far. Uh, Colin McDade has a uh, second and a fourth, and Dino has a second and something very very close to a fourth. So. Um, so basically, it's came down to a four-man race. Uh, if all, if any of us uh, four score first, we have a good chance of winning uh, the Texas Circuit. Um, so uh, War Games Con is going to be a very uh, intense. So there you have it. It turns out that Dino has another chance to take out Nick this time for all the Chalupas. And also, I would say that something like Warzone, uh, sorry, um, uh, War Games Con. Maybe you're going to see some more out-of-state players coming up uh, to try and uh, mess with Texas. Maybe some of those Florida men will make their way over to that Sunshine State. I guess from their Sunshine State. Tournament news. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. As we've completed the first half of the team tournament season, it's time for us to introduce a new segment. Better know an ETC team. And what better place to start with than those level scamps, Team England. Of course, as we all know, this is a very important event for Team England, as it would likely be the last opportunity for them to win before Boris Johnson unhinges his jaw and swallows the entirety of the UK in one chewless bite. The stakes are so high that a country with arguably the most top-level 40k talent decided to bring along an American mercenary. Full disclosure, this interview was done, like all UK podcast interviews, in the trunk of a car driving down the highway at maximum speed. I've attempted to clean it up, but it might be a little hard on our autophile fan base. 
That being said, Josh provides some great insights, and I'm told he rarely does interviews, and basically stop whining and take what we give you. Hey guys, we're here with Josh Roberts, uh, the captain of the English ETC team. So, um, is this your first ATC experience? My first ATC, yeah. And how did you like it? It was really good. I mean, Chris has been bugging me to try and come over to you, some US, more US events. I did Adepticon 2011-2012, was a while ago. Uh, enjoyed that. Haven't had a chance to come back. Um, Chris was saying, oh, you should try Nova, should try LVO, should try all the, all the big events he was listing. And then he, but he said, oh, actually, we have a place on our ATC team. Would you like to join us? And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. I like team events. I mean, I'm the English captain for the ETC. So I thought it would be interesting to come along, see what the meta's like, um, pl play here, um, and also just a new experience as well. So how do you feel about the American meta versus the European meta, ETC versus ETC? So I think the match is definitely different. A big part of that is emissions. Because we don't play a lot of ITC in the UK, our, a lot of our tournaments are still more ETC scoring system, ETC style of system. Uh, that changes how the list is developed because the missions are so different. As in, there is more ITC events happening now in the UK, which will start to promote people's um, meta events they'll start to realize certain things you would take in ETC or ETC mission sorry wouldn't necessarily take in an ITC pack because of their kill more um, hold more style of scoring and I think the other big one is the fact that you guys have more Forge World we don't have a lot of Forge World anywhere near as much maybe 60% of our tournaments don't allow it the ones that do have limits um, that changes the meta massively as well like Last game, played three of them. The uh, Ryan, Ryan Flyers. Well, you don't see those in the UK. You might see one. I think I've seen one before. You don't see three because a lot of the tournaments, even if they do allow Forge World, may be limited to, to say, a thousand points, uh, you know, apart from some of the new ITC missions that come through now. So it just ch changes the game. It's just a different. It's not like having an extra rule set on top. Um, and then uh, now that the ETC lists are live, is there anything that surprised you about any anything any of the other countries are taking? So normally, I think each year you normally look through all the lists and go, "Oh, that's quite clever. I missed that," or um, "Oh, well, how do we how do we not think that?" Whereas this year, I feel like um, we're quite happy as a team that we've looked through all the lists and gone. Actually, I don't feel like we've missed anything. There's some options we didn't choose to take. So like we haven't taken Necrons, for example, and we know that with the points changes and within an eight-man team, Necrons are actually a decent viable option now. Um, but we considered them and felt that it wasn't in the strongest eight for us. But I know other teams, like the American team, has taken the Necron list, and it definitely has a place on the team if you feel it fits within your, your group of armies and what roles you see them to do. So I don't think there's any... The only ones that I will say just look crazy are some of the Russian lists. Basically, they have a bit of repetition about though. Their lists are always different, just look strange on paper. Um, like they have a Grey Knight, Dark Angel, Space Wolf list, which it, you look at it and go, I don't, I don't see what I'm missing when I look at that list and go, it's got some tricks in there, like the, you easily stacking the two minus ones to hit on a big target, so they made it minus two. It's got bits and pieces in there, but it still doesn't look like the most efficient list. Maybe I'm wrong, and he might score um, 
really well at ETC. But uh, you look at it and go, it just looks like an odd list rather than, oh wow, that was a that's a meta a meta list that we've missed. Um, whereas, like say in previous years, um, I remember when sometimes certain teams will come up with a list that people just don't see coming, and then it scores really well. That's like that's the holy grail of the ETC. If you can develop a list, that if if you know that there are armies that people generally defend with, and if you can develop a list that they don't realise beat that list, and so they end up oh I can I can play that, and then they pick it, um, then it it just gives you such an advantage in the pairing. And I remember I think it was, I think it was a few years ago, but the, um, and it was uh, maybe fifth edition. Um, Polish did that. They they brought. They were the first first time they brought like a like a gene stealer heavy list in that and in that meta like the guard gun line with the hydras and the vendettas is a really popular list, really powerful, hard to counter. Um, and then this gene stealer horde list with the, with the list as it was at the time, nobody was running it. They were the first to really run it at an event. People were putting that against the guard gun like, oh, it's just gene stealers. I can play that. And then I think he played out of his six games. I think he played guard five times because no, because none of the team had worked out what his list did. And I think he scored like 113 out of 120 points. So he just because his his army was just so good against that army, and the rest hadn't caught up to that meta yet. Not actually, they clearly developed this list to play that, and others didn't realize. Do you think uh, any of the improvements that ETC has made on the terrain has, has impacted the way that people build this board now? Yeah, massively for sure. I mean, like for us as a team. So, for anybody who doesn't know, ETC, because it's an eight-man team, and uh, you're, there's eight tables. We have there's eight table maps, and that is how the terrain will be for every row. Um, so we know exactly what table one should look like. There'll be some variation, of course, but it's that I, I, there's no guarantee that every single terrain piece will be the same exact size. But generally, they have a set size for each type of terrain piece. Uh, and what it should should do, how tall it should be, how wide it should be, um, and that then means that we can plan our pairings and we can plan our armies around. Okay, well, I know this this type of army needs a heavy board. It can play on tables, say for example, uh, tables one and two are super heavy. Tables three, four, five, six are should be medium boards, and then table seven and eight are light boards. And then again, the table one is super heavy. Table Eight is really light, so there's there's a the complete spectrum, and then you so you can design lists around that. Okay, how how do we as a foot forward army? Okay, I want to play on a on a gun line, like say an Admet gun line or a Tau gun line. Okay, I'm going to pick table eight, the, the lightest board there. Which armies are going to play on me on that type of board? Because a lot of armies struggle against that type of gun line if they can't. Um, Hide anything. Some, I mean, you can hide a little bit, but not a lot on table eight. It's, it's very open. The, the the reverse is table one. Somebody like a, a G-Stealer cult list, or say a, a guard in direct fire list, which has got like lots of women's and um, mortars, and then they've got uh, smash captains or slant or, or shield captains for support. They can go, okay, well, I'll pick table one. You can't see me. I've got combat threat, and then in direct, or if I'm G-Silk help, I'm just going to control the whole board. You're not going to want to come any near, anywhere near my rocks or uh, acolytes or 
Yes, Double Aberrance is really popular. It seems to be quite popular over here as well. Things like that go, well, you can't see me. I'm going to control this whole board. Which, with ETC, with the way the mission scoring works, is yes, you get points for kill points and things like that, but actually, if you control the board, you win nothing and win the game. Because if you, if you got position your Maelstrom, okay, I'm holding more objectives, I'm, I'm scoring cards. A lot of the Maelstrom missions will be some of them where you draw cards for the objectives you're on. Board control is so big. For a list like those, if they can't just get shot off, really, really powerful. And then on the, the reverse of that, we have to think then as a when you're designing lists to prey on armies and go, okay, well, I think they might put this forward, I think they might put that forward. Okay, well, somebody like, say, um, demons or other armies or orcs might say, oh, well, I can play Tau. But on that barren board, I'm gonna, that's actually really difficult. Change the whole complexion. Um, and the same for like Jesus of Health. Oh, yeah, I can play Jesus of Health. I can't see him, and I've got to out combat him. Can I out combat him? A lot of armies can't. So it, it makes it's good that we've got all the tables, but it, it does cause some uh, headaches about how to design lists. And like, how, do we, actually, how do we deal with that? Um, because certain lists can really abuse terrain. When, I, uh, when you guys are designing your list for the ETC, are you are they more player driven, or do you just kind of you know what you need to build for, you know what you need to bring, kind of deal, and you assign it to someone? So I mean, different captains have different ways of doing that. So I know some captains are more authoritarian, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, and they'll go, "This is what I want the team to do," and then players have to work around that. I've always found there's there's a little bit of that, but you've got to have players happy on what they're playing. Players play better with, with armies that suit them, that they enjoy, um, because they're going to practice more with it, they're going to play more with it. I mean, particularly with ETC, because it's ETC meta is its own thing in that it's not a singles event, so you do get more extreme builds, and you because everybody can't duplicate abilities, you get some more in a, what would be a singles tournament, but why would you take... Uh, why would you take maybe Necrons to try and win a singles level? Why would you take, um, say, like a Grot Horde list, like the Americans are taking the ETC? Would you win a singles event with that? Maybe, but it's probably difficult to. Um, but in, a, in, a, in an ETC environment, it has a very particular role. It can do very well. Now, of course, the balance then with the players is, this year has been a little bit different in the GW is so much faster with their releases that meta keeps evolving, um, and there's new codexes all the time, but traditionally build through the year to prepare for the ETC. So you've got to have your players playing something they like. Because I mean, a lot of my, for a lot of my players, and I'm sure it's the same for other teams, but the biggest event for them is the ETC, so they might, some of them will sacrifice their singles chances, if you will. They can still do well, because they'd all take a good list, but they might sacrifice the potential of how well they'll will they podium with it because they'll be taking a list they know they're trying to develop for the ETC um, when they know that okay well I could take a Google suit with all the, all the toys or I could take a chaos suit with all the toys um, but they're not doing that singles because they're practicing their list whereas if you force them onto an army a lot of people will play as many games as possible and then you know when you go to an event particularly the ETC when it gets, when it gets to the business end of the round Sometimes that one mistake can cost you the whole team result, um, and then and then that's massive. That's that, that can throw your 
more easier. So I try and let players have an input, um, and then once 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 I've got an idea of what everybody wants to play, then I'll look at what that looks like as an eight, and then try and work out okay, that looks like we've got too many put forwards. We haven't got enough arms to go out and get, get us points, um, or no, it looks like we've got around. We've got loads of like really aggressive lists, but actually we've got nothing to put forward, nothing to defend with. Okay, we just need to adjust the balance. So then I'll go away and look at which each of the lists and go, okay, well, this list could probably do that a bit better. You can, something like, say, Jesus to a cult, you could probably go a bit more aggressive because in an eight man team, you can avoid some of the matchups that you, in a singles event, you might hit, like, you might not want to play Flyer, Eldar, things like that. Whereas if you know you can avoid that, you don't have to try and cater for it. You just go, okay, well, if I get that pairing, I'll lose 20 nil, but I'll make my list better at playing all the other options I want to play to maximize your result. And then other lists, you might go, okay, well, how can we make that list more maximizing the terrain? Okay, if you go forward with this terrain, you know you can play pretty much anybody and get points out of it. So it's finding that balance. And then the final one would be is once we start to get closer to GTC and once students are with them, we know that no more FAQs from GW, know that all the, the, the lists are pretty much, all list options are set. Okay. This looks pretty powerful. If, we, if that's a, that looks like it might be a put forward list, do we have two answers to it? Um, and then if we've got any glaring holes in our team makeup, then we go, okay, we need to adjust something because we, we're, we're, we're lacking with, if they put forward um, an admec gun line, we don't have two answers for it. So we're giving, we're giving their defender a free win, which is not what you want to try and do. Um, so that's, I try and have a little bit of balance player driven. But then tweaked depending on what we're doing as a team. All right. Thanks, Josh. This has been Tony with 40K Stat Center and the start of our ETC Spotlight. Thanks. How do you feel, Tony? How was the co hosting chair? Uh, just thankful for the opportunity, Val. Hey, you showed good hustle out there. You finished all your plays, and your team's called Abusement Park, and I think it's really funny. <laughs> well, next year we'll be doing it for the Queen. Thank you to everyone who's made it this far. And if you have any idea how to fix levels and you think I suck, please reach out because every time I hear my own voice, it sounds pretty balanced to me. Thank you also to the growing group of international correspondents. If you, you've messaged us in the past and you did not hear from us this week, it's not that we don't like you. It's that we're just bad at organizing our messages. Please ping us again because we're definitely going to need you in the upcoming weeks. So next week we've got uh, how many, Tony? Seven. That's right. Seven majors and GTs to highlight and bring to you all. Conveniently, the Vulcan is on vacation, so who the hell knows who's going to tell you about them, but hey. Uh, I will, of course, be at TGX this weekend for Toronto's first major event. Not quite sure if that's true, but I'm saying it anyway. And I can't wait to put that at the start of the show, regardless of how many more important things have happened. Tone, anything else? The Show Me Showdown is coming this week, somewhere in the middle of the damn country. Uh, watch for Bam on the Iron Halo GT stream. Uh, he should be playing game one. We've got Warzone Gigabytes coming down in Atlanta in August 10th. Capital City Clash in Columbia, South Carolina on August 24th. And then, of course, Nova's 10th anniversary to top it off August 29th through September 3rd. Did you say Capital City Clash on August 24th? Yes. That's different from the Capital City Bloodbath on August 24th? <laughs> Apparently so. Those scumbags. I'm also not 100%. I'm pretty sure it's 20, August 24th. 
That is funny to me. America, jeez, you can't let us have anything. Capital City Bloodbath, late August. Going to be real good, real big, real awesome. Um, well, well, at this point, I think it's the TOs are conspiring against us. Could be. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if they're all getting together. It's the hot and heavy summer. Uh, we'll be into the doldrums of the fall soon enough. Uh, and and aside from that, I guess there's only one thing left to say. Get good, 40K. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.